Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm Joel Stein. And I have problems. I've been writing a column for Time Magazine for 15 years. The thing I like to write about most is me. And because I write about myself, a lot of people send in comments in which they tell me exactly what's wrong with me. So I figure it's time to fix those things right here on this podcast. All of the haters, all of the trolls, they see right through to his soul. He is rotten at the core. Come on, everybody, let's explore and dig him out of his hole. What's wrong with Joel? La 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 la. What could it be? What's wrong with Joel? La 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 la. What's wrong with me? I don't think you really have problems, Joel. That's Shara Morris. She's the producer of this podcast. I have no idea what her problems are. Not caring about people is one of my problems. Shara, luckily, is solving one of my latest problems, which is I have no idea how to make a podcast. So I met with her at this little cafe called Trails right near my house in L.A. because, well, she's 26 and I could make her do whatever I wanted. That was the first thing I noticed when I met her, which is that she's super young and super eager, and this podcast was super important to her, which scared the crap out of me because I knew she was going to try and make this a lot of work. I'm inherently lazy, plus I'm busy, and so I'm going to slack. Okay. So any pushing that you can do or doing you can do would be appreciated. Yeah, of course. The weirdest part of meeting the producer of your podcast about yourself is that Shara pulled out a microphone just as I was trying to say hi to her. Also, she started getting really serious about stuff. Like, to me, it seems like you have it all. You know, like... like, It's very nice of you to say. I do feel that way. I feel really... People say lucky and don't mean it, but I really mean it. Like... I could have gone to law school. But when I decided not to go to law school, I was like, I'm going to think I'm going to go write for newspapers and be poor. And then I went and did that, and I made a lot of money. (laughs) So, like, yeah, I feel like there was no... I made more money than if I was a lawyer, maybe. But, yeah, so I feel... feel, I do feel lucky. Then why are you here? I did see a therapist for a story who's an amazing guy. I'm sure he'll never do this. Named Phil Stutz. Okay. But that... But he basically sat me down and said you were dead inside. Yeah. My therapist told me I was dead inside. That wasn't good. But when I told Shara, it really freaked her out, which let me know it was really, really not good. Why did he tell you that? I don't know, because I think... I don't, I'm not full of passions. Like, I'm annoyed when people talk about their passions. So, of course, this is what she wants to focus the podcast on. I thought I was just going to lose like 10 pounds and learn about classical music or write some thank you notes. But Shara wants to make these really big changes in my life because she thinks she's going to win a Pulitzer, which of course they do not give for podcasting. 
So I was stuck at this cafe for hours while Sharon and I talked through all the issues in my life and broke them down into five categories. Today's topic, my marriage. Everyone can improve their marriage, right? So this podcast is going to be a self-help journey or a, a self-help discovery or a journey of discovery. I don't know the self-help lingo. I've actually never read a self-help book in my life. So maybe there's something we can both get out of this. So let's figure out what's wrong with me. I think we should give that like some kind of special effect, like what's wrong with me? Or let's figure out what's wrong. How do they, they do this? I've seen them. Yeah. Since I don't know anything about self-help, Sharon and I decided that we needed some kind of massive self-help guru to help guide us through this discovery journey thing. Someone on a higher level. Someone who's four steps ahead of us at all times. All right, can I start recording you? That's my warning that you shouldn't say anything interesting. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and record, and I'll also grab my audio uh, and everything on this side as a backup if you need it. So... We talked to Tim Ferriss. That's wow. Awesome. Wow. Thank you. That's super nice. See, he's efficient yeah. in ways that we are not. Yeah. No, we need to get with the program. Tim's the author of The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, The 4-Hour Chef, basically anything that only takes four hours. He's helped millions of people, so he's got to be able to help me. The crux of self-improvement, I think, and there are differing opinions on this, could be echoed by say, Peter Drucker, the Benjamin Theorist. So what gets measured gets managed. I think that nebulous goals produce very, at best, mediocre returns. So you have to, uh, for instance, like learning Spanish is not a great goal because it's not measurable. Um, becoming a better husband, uh, in the abstract, a great goal, but in the implementation, uh, a, a terrible objective because you don't really have, it's not granular enough and you don't have metrics, right? So you'd have to decide how you're going to measure your before, your baseline, and how you're going to assess your progress or your after. So what are the last few things you improved in your life? So I can get an idea of what's measurable. Sure. Uh, I had about nine months of my life removed uh, by Lyme disease. So I started experimenting with various diets based on hypotheses that I had, right? So you have to start with any scientific experiment, which is what I would view what you're doing as, you have a hypothesis. So, you know, doing X will make me a better husband. Tim is like one of those scientists who experiment on himself, whereas I'm like one of those non-scientists who watches TV and reads Twitter. If I had Tim's passion and drive, this show would be on NPR. You could do this in a, in a less technical way where you have, you either assess or someone else assesses you on a zero to 10 point scale. So for instance, right. I have a friend, he's in a, a older gent, he's in his 60s, he has a, he has a very good... Uh, marriage, has a very good relationship with his wife, very good relationship with his kids. Every quarter, his wife grades him on a 10-point scale in four categories. And let me see if I can get this right. So husband, father, provider, and lover. And what's, what's, what was so fascinating and I thought smart about how they did this is that he doesn't have to maintain a certain ranking in each category, he has to maintain a certain total. Yeah, that's a, that sounds like a good way to, to have an excuse to buy your wife's love. <laughs> well, it's also, I think, it's, uh, underscores something else, which is you shouldn't take advice from 
anyone who has not been able to implement the same advice successfully for themselves. And in this case, uh, I was not talking to someone who had been married for a year. I was talking to someone who had been married for 20 plus years. Tim's idea made sense on like a logical Spock level, but I'm going to look like a jerk if I ask my wife to rate me. Like who does that? But Tim's my guru, so I guess I have to listen to him. I just don't know how to live up to his measurables. After talking to me on the, right now, what do you think my likelihood of success is? If you follow the prescription that I have put out and focus on measurable, uh, measurable objectives and you have a timeline that is, has been rationally thought through, I think, I think the likelihood of success could be very high. This is so helpful. Having ways to do, you know, chart my progress makes total sense to me. Cool. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, you, you want to go in with a framework for assessing where you are, uh, any midpoint progress or lack thereof. And then your after, if you, if, if that's how you're assessing things. Thanks, Thank you Tim. so much, Tim. Of course, guys. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. He said, take it easy. I don't think he wants us to take it easy. No. He, he wants to take it hard. I don't think he knows how to take it easy. No. That, I think Tim Ferriss is a robot sponsored by Slack. <laughs> we can't bag on our guru. This is our guru. So if my guru wants me to measure myself as a husband, I'll measure myself as a husband. And I'll try not to make a dick joke about doing it. So in order to try and be a better husband, I figure I'd ask you to rank me in four different categories. This is, this is what Tim Ferriss suggested. Okay. So one is husband, which is weird, because that's the whole point. But one is husband, one is lover, one is father, and one is provider. <laughs> so one to 10 in each one. One to 10? In each category. I fell in love with Cassandra 17 years ago because she was cool and brave and knew what was important and what wasn't. And she said exactly what she felt. And I was none of those things. And I'm still not. And she still is. I don't know. This is so dumb. I tend to, when I'm happy with things, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'll rate it 8 or 9. I'll never give anything a 10. You're like a... A figure skating judge. Yeah, exactly. I'm like a figure skating judge. Okay, that's fair. Um, husband. But be honest. Don't pre I mean, pretend I'm not listening. Father, 9.5. Uh, husband, 8.5. Uh, lover, 8.5. Provider, 10. Like, what, what are reasons so I can not improve? I feel like sometimes you take me for granted in the sense that, like socially, like other people, you sort of be more polite around other people or make time for other people, but you don't really make time for me. Like the date nights and the lunches and stuff like that. And a lover? Um, I think we have a great sex life, but I think we could stand to connect a little more on the emotional intimacy side. I think porn is part of that problem. All right, so it sounds like I have some room to improve in husband and lover, but about the same in each? Just note the subtleties and the points. That's all you need to know. Porn's probably not great for my relationship. I decided to focus on not watching porn because that seemed measurable, 
and I thought maybe we'd get to interview some porn stars. Okay, so how how did you do? I did okay, but I have some work. Well, like like what? Uh, one thing I know that bothers her is that I watch a lot of porn, which is probably not a great thing for a relationship or or for me as a person. That's measurable. I could get one of those anti-porn preacher guys or like a feminist to help me through that. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Cassandra too and, and see what she thinks. All right. A couple of days later, Shara came over and kicked me out of my own house. She and Cassandra had iced coffee on our couch while they talked about me. Yeah, this is Joel's podcast and we're just living in it. <laughs> That's right, exactly. You have to put that in there. That's awesome. I was pretty nervous, like I would be if I were being evaluated at work and my wife were my boss and they were talking about my porn usage. Yeah, what, what is up with the porn thing? <laughs> I just think that porn is... I'm not against porn, necessarily. I just think that it's kind of like a drug or something. Like, you need to be careful about which ones you're using and how often. It sort of creates a weird expectation on real-life sex and, like, um, and a weird idea of what a woman finds pleasurable, depending on what kind of porn you're watching. You know, for this first episode that we're doing, well, the reason why it came about was that Joel felt like he could potentially be a better husband and maybe like more sensitive to you. Of course. I feel like there's a lot of things. I mean, when I look back on the years, ways in which I don't feel like he was supportive of me, but of course, plenty of other ways in which he was supportive. My full-time job is basically assistant to our kid, caretaker uh, to our kid, um, you know, very traditional mother-wife role at this point. Whereas Joel's grounding purpose is his career, and his career is so 24-7. It's... I mean, he works all weekend. It's tough for me because I feel like I'm a supportive. I'm helping him with his work, with his social life, with his all this stuff. It makes it hard for me to focus on like, oh, I have to go back to work or I have to go get myself grounded in some kind of a career or a work purpose outside of my kid and my home. It is a constant time suck for me is dealing with his life. And like, I don't think he realizes that or respects or appreciates it necessarily. Shara played me what Cassandra said, and I felt really badly. I know I'm sometimes not supportive because I get too practical. Like once Cassandra told me she wanted to start a business and I started talking about how so many businesses fail and how hard sales is and how there's all this accounting. I don't know why I did that. Probably because most businesses fail and sales is hard and there's lots of accounting. Support's clearly an area where I can improve. After we listened to the tape, I was ready to do whatever Cassandra wanted me to do. Even if it meant watching less porn. Or worse porn. Or God forbid, foreign porn. Well, look, I don't know if you should stop watching porn because, I mean, everyone watches porn. Right? Yeah. Okay. So. Thank you. So maybe it just needs to be something where you're not thinking about yourself and your own desires and you're actually thinking about her and her desires. Because like when we talked, she was talking about not only 
the porn, but also how you could be more supportive of her. And so maybe you just need to be thinking about her more. That sounds right. That sounds, yeah. That sounded smart. This is going to sound a little weird, so hear me out. But have you heard of something called One Taste by any chance? Oh, I, yeah. I've read about this. I think I have a, I know a woman that does this regularly. One Taste. Yeah, it's a weird sex thing. Weirder than foreign porn. One Taste is a company that focuses on orgasmic meditation. Yeah, orgasmic meditation. It's a supposedly meditative practice where the guy solely focuses on a female orgasm, which is something that I thought was called cunnilingus. Have you done this? No. No, you're shaking your head like only a freak would do this. No, no. (laughs) That's the exact face you made. Like, no way. Of course I haven't done this. No, but I'm intrigued. Like, I would potentially... I'm intrigued by lots of crimes and, like, I'm intrigued by genocide. But wait, you're making a face like, of course I wouldn't do this, and yet you're encouraging me to do this. No, I would would potentially do it. What does potentially do it? In jail? What do you mean? I guess I haven't done it, but I would do it if I were the star of a podcast. (laughs) That is the most manipulative Hollywood thing anyone said to me by a public radio producer. That was incredible. That was crazy. No. What? You're like, if I were the star of a podcast, it's a podcast. I'm sure you have several podcasts. Everyone has a podcast. You would not do it just for that. I later found out that Shara indeed does have a podcast and no one has any orgasms on it ever. You know, in so much porn and even what we see in the media, so much of the emphasis is put on the guy's orgasm and like the guy's needs. And I really respect the fact that this is all focused on the woman. Okay, so here's the thing I didn't tell Shara, which is the reason I knew about One Taste was because Cassandra brought it up. And... I didn't want to tell Shara that and make her think Cassandra is some weird sex freak. But Cassandra is some weird sex freak, apparently, because she kept showing me articles about this and clearly wanted to go to some kind of seminar where we learned about this, which I said I was willing to do, but avoided bringing it up again because it seemed like a really bad idea to introduce some weird sex thing that you do in front of other people at some seminar to your marriage. Like, very destabilizing. It seemed even more destabilizing to do it on a public podcast that conceptually one day my six-year-old's friends could listen to and make fun of him for, or worse yet, my friends could listen to and make fun of me for. I needed to talk to someone about this, like someone who is an expert in sex and knows something about one taste and my porn problem. The first thing you need to do is decenter your dick. Dan Savage is the host of the Savage Lovecast and writes a weekly column where he gives sex advice to people. Dan happened to be in L.A. from Seattle because he has a show on ABC about his life and family. So we caught up over an afternoon of porn. I mean, coffee. Coffee, not porn. So I feel like I watch, I shouldn't watch, I feel like porn is not good for me. Why? First of all, I feel like I do it uh, to avoid anxiety, either when I'm writing. Uh, I do it because we're not, we haven't had sex in a while, and instead of like initiating that, I'll watch porn. I feel like she feels, and she's probably right, that it's, um, 
setting expectations for sex that maybe aren't great? Do any of those things sound like... They sound like things that people say. They sound like things that people believe. I think they're crazy. And I think it's damaging to a relationship for one person to police the other person's fantasies, erotica. It's a waste of effort. It's a conflict generator. And it's a fool's errand. Of course you're attracted to other people. So is she. Uh, You can look at porn as something potentially destructive, or you can look at it as potentially enabling. What does it enable? It enables the monogamous commitment. Okay, so how much porn is too much? It depends. Are you watching... Are you consuming porn and then neglecting your spouse? Are you no, opting to, to, to rub one out when you could go and... No, definitely not. That is, you're not watching too much porn. I feel like you've been skirting around this. How much porn do you watch? More, I, 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 we can narrow it down, but more than once a week, but less than once a day? Is that a good answer? Okay. Some people eat a lot of french fries and... Right. And hit the gym hard and do a lot of cardio, and it's not a problem. I see. Like, if you eat a lot of french fries and you burst, it's a problem how many french fries you ate. Otherwise, you're, you have a balanced diet, you're not, like, eating only french fries right. and only garbage food. You're also eating vegetables. I mean, as much healthy food as is offered in our refrigerator. <laughs> I was relieved that porn was probably not my problem. Although, I'll cut back on it if that's going to make Cassandra happy. But it sounds like I have an even bigger problem that needs to be addressed. So if I was going to get my Tim Ferriss ranking above 8.5, I might have to do what Shara and Cassandra had suggested. Okay, so Cassandra had this idea, which coincidentally, Shara also had, which I had been resistant about, but I wanted your opinion on. You clear, you've clearly heard of this group called One Taste? No. Come on, it's a sex thing. Okay. I, I just I just unslut shamed you. Whatever. <laughs> I wasn't slutty enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so I've read about it, and I know someone who's done it. What is it? Okay, so I think it's a cult. I think there are people, uh, hippies involved, new age people, and they teach you. So normally you do it with someone who's not your partner, but in this case I'll be doing it with Cassandra, depending on what you think. So the idea is you stroke the upper left quadrant of their clitoris for like an hour or some, some long amount of time, mm-hmm. longer than you would normally stroke the upper left-hand quadrant of someone's clitoris. And it's like somewhat meditative, and they have maybe some orgasms, and, and that's all I know. There's something about a clitoris being divided into quadrants that makes me think of West Berlin and the French, <laughs> British, American, and Soviet sectors. I didn't this realize is, This that is definitely the Soviet sector. <laughs> this is a whole half. The uh, clitoris have been partitioned. Yeah. So tragically, after the war like that, <laughs> the clitoral wall, who will tear it down? So what about, the, it's like a sex workshop where you go and... Yeah, so some like, guy would come to our house and teach me, I guess he'd look at Cassandra's clitoris, or at least a quarter of it, and tell me... <laughs> Like how to stroke it, mm-hmm. and then we would. This would be like a sexual meditative practice. She's probably just bored, and right. needs an experience that would make her feel alive again. And this is not me being prescriptive about non-monogamy or monogamishmy or whatever. This is just people in long-term committed monogamous relationships who want those relationships to succeed need to accept that they're going to have to make an effort to keep things exciting, and to 
create a workaround for what people who are in non-monogamous relationships get. So is this, is this one taste thing going to be enough of an adventure? Will it be enough of an adventure? I don't know. It depends on, on you guys. Okay, so uh, I'm going to do this thing because whether it's dumb or humiliating doesn't really matter. What matters is that Cassandra wants to do it. And I'm going to be supportive about the things Cassandra wants to do. I, I don't sound that convincing when I'm saying that now, but I, I, I feel that. Uh, I'm still terrified about this. So instead of just calling another expert, I decided to confide in the person I could be the most open with. The person I'm doing this all for, Cassandra. Okay, how are you feeling about tomorrow? Well, you asked me what I expect. I don't yeah. know what to expect because... You made it sound like it's some kind of meditative thing. Yeah. That involves touching of the clitoris. Whereas I thought what I had read about in the paper, which I thought was the same thing. The paper? Was the paper of record that you read about this in? Probably the New York Times. Yeah, definitely the New York Times. All right. But I thought I had read that it involved putting a finger in the vagina. Okay, like, Cassandra, hold on here. It's a family <laughs> podcast. I'm like finding the G-spot or something like that. I'm not sure. I think it's hands-on. Right. But for all I know, he's talking to you in another room or something. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know what to expect, but I know that the story that I read, it's not like strangers are looking at my vagina. It's like things are hidden behind a tent or something. You or, think he comes with a tent? I don't know. Like a vagina tent? <laughs> Maybe. Like a special vagina tent sure. that they make. I don't... Sure, Joel. I'm going to Google that. Okay. Did you ever read the Platform Sutra of the Sixth Patriarch? Five times. Did you really? No. I you took those kind of classes in college. No, I never read it. There's a big part where the guy just like... It's a very karate kid. The guy's sent out to chop wood for like hours and hours and hours. Uh-huh. And that's how he's supposed to achieve his Zen state. Uh-huh. Right. Oh, you think you think that's that's what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to be working, so to speak, for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, and we'll both attend. Yeah, you know, pleasuring a woman takes a lot of work. It's not like how it is in porn. Oh, they don't bother in porn. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's not real life. Right. You got to change your expectations of sexuality of a woman, especially if you want lots. of sex so they, you're saying you want to love her with a slow hand <laughs> that's right you want to love her with an easy touch that's exactly what I'm saying why am I so freaked out are you really yeah um I don't know I'm more uptight than you in general though right to find uptight well it's true uh, I'm more uh, prudish and square yeah, I mean, you still are ashamed to fart in front of me. I don't know what your problem is. It's all natural. We're all humans. We have bodily functions and... Some of them are gross. So? I'm saying you can They're... accept the fact that you fart. I accept it, but I... If I you do, don't accept it. That's I do accept thing. it, and I'm alone. But I... you feel such ter terrible, terrible shame about it. I bet, I bet you feel ashamed when you fart, even when you're alone. <laughs> I bet you, I can see you, like, uh, chiding yourself, like, oh, Joel, why, why? Come on, man, restrain yourself. Like a really loud one? Sure. 
No, if I'm alone in the forest and no one can hear me, <laughs> I'm fine with it. But I like to keep a little mystery. <laughs> now everyone knows I fart. <laughs> Till tomorrow. Love you. What do you mean until tomorrow? <laughs> I don't know how to end these things. I'm gonna go with until tomorrow. That's gonna be my sign off. <laughs> okay. Like my Edward R. Murrow thing. The next day, a man showed up at the door for my wife. I'm the master stroker at One Taste. I had been very clear in my emails with One Taste that we wanted a female meditator, but they insisted that the only person they could send over was Eli. It was like getting a male masseuse when you wanted a female masseuse only way worse because this masseuse was going to be in a room with me while I did sex stuff with my wife. Worse yet, Eli was kind of good looking in like a skinny, red-haired, hipster-bearded Jewish guy who was a few years younger than me. He's basically like the younger, sensitive, better-looking me. This is how marriages end, not improve. Oh, how are your Yelp reviews? I forgot to check. They're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. They're pretty good. I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. Good thing we didn't read them yet. You don't really have Yelp reviews. We do in San Francisco. Seriously? Yeah. We don't hear in LA. I looked it up later. One Taste is reviewed on Yelp in San Francisco. It's got four stars and has been reviewed by 14 people. I don't know if I'm going to go rate Eli, but there is one thing I really wanted to ask him about. Wait, since you've been doing orgasmic meditation, yeah. do you watch much, if any, porn? Never. Never? Never. Did you used to watch a lot Totally. Of porn? Quite a bit. And how has that changed your life? Just that part of it. Um, it's the difference between um, going to McDonald's every day and hoping to feel satisfied versus um, eating some like healthy, you know, locally grown food. Just like Dan, Eli uses porn and food metaphors. But has it changed your relationship? Has it just changed your state of being? Or totally. I mean, absolutely. I'm, um, I'm a way more connectable person than I was before this. The women in my life have way more access to me. Let's get down to business. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm ready. I turned off the recorder to preserve my last ounce of dignity. But basically, here's what happened. At 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, I spent 15 minutes one tasting with my wife and Eli. I was so freaked out during this that I tried to block things out and just focus on what was in front of me and breathe my way through it which is conveniently exactly what meditation is. Eventually, Eli left, and I felt a little traumatized, like quiet and without all my peripheral vision and my sense of time slowed down. I had absolutely no idea if Cassandra felt the same way. It seemed like she was enjoying it, but maybe she was just acting that way around Eli because it was so awkward. I never know if she had a good time at a party until we get home. Not that this was a party, or maybe it was. I had no idea. Okay, how, how, tell me all about, you. how was that for you? Was it what you expected? I thought it was, it was great. Um, I want to do it more. Great, me but too. But I'm worried about you. Like, I don't know. First of all, I will say, I did think, I for some reason thought that whoever was coming to teach us was not going to be seeing my vagina. I was, yeah. That's, so okay. in that sense, if I could do it over, I probably would have requested a woman, but it's not that big of a deal to me. Yeah, you seem fine with it. Yeah, and but you, I felt, I'm not naked, so I I felt have more it. bad for you. I felt like as a man, you have another man there telling you how to touch somebody and like touch your wife. Like it must, I don't know. I was worried that you maybe felt emasculated or stressed about it or 
it was t I was totally fine either way. If And again, if I had requested a woman, I feel like it would have been more for you. I was comfortable either way. But I was worried about you. Like, is that weird for you? It would have been much better for you if it was a woman or it didn't matter to you either. It would have been better, but it was still really weird. Right. Um. But it would have been better for you. But he was great. Like, nothing against him. I I'm, feel like he was the best male possible. Like, he was a... Dad. I'm still going to beat him up, <laughs> if that's what you're asking. <laughs> that's the code. I have to beat him up now. I mean, I feel pretty amazing right now, and this is my first time doing it. What kind of amazing? Explain. Yeah, I mean, I feel relaxed. I feel turned on. Like, I'm turned on right now. I feel a little bit like I just exercised or something. Like, you know that, like, I guess it must be endorphins or something. So you, you feel, is it, okay, is what you feel closer to what you feel after you meditate or after you have sex? Like both. That's the weird thing. It feels like a combination of both, and I'm not just saying that. Because, and I also do feel like it wasn't, I mean, it was our first try, and it wasn't 100% successful, but it was great. And by successful, I don't even mean achieving climax in the traditional sense. But I just mean, like, it could be better and better every time. But do you think this could improve our marriage, make me a better husband, et cetera, et cetera? I do. Okay. Me but too. if it feels like, and I also, I mean, I don't know, maybe we'll get to the point where we want to do it every day or something, but I don't think it's something that we have to do every day. Okay, well, my question is, do you think that this could be good for our marriage? Or for our I think, life? I think this could be good for our marriage because you said it could be good for our marriage. But that's, but but that's real. I also do feel like... The time that you took to do that and make me feel good it does make me already like I want to have sex with you more. More than like going to lunch? Yeah. But that's good too because we're like talking. But... Even though I was the one who was wearing pants the whole time, I was the one who felt traumatized. I don't know why. But when I saw Shara later that day, I was still all I could think about. It was traumatic. Actually? No, because nothing is traumatic. Well, it's not true. Nothing I encounter is ever traumatic. But it was, it was weird. It was like giving birth again. So, like, what was... I'm not even sure there was a dude in the room when we gave birth. <laughs> was she... How did... Did she enjoy it? Yes. Really? Yeah, there's going to be more of this. Not with that guy. But just the two of us. But that's really good that she feels better. Yeah. Did you feel good that you could do that for her? You know, it's so tainted by the fact that there was another guy in the room. Um, so I feel good that I could do this for her. Yeah, yes, yes. It, it's, it, in the abstract, 100% totally, yes, I feel good I can do this for her. Did you guys talk about porn at all? Yes, he is the one taste guy is very anti-porn. He does not watch porn, he thinks it's poisonous, he thinks, um, he thinks that the um, sexual interaction takes place at a very low frequency and porn is at a very high frequency, so it inhibits your ability to, to notice things at the low frequency and really connect. Did this experience make you think about things in a different way? Sure, yeah. No, I don't think he's... I mean, as weird as this whole thing is, he's not wrong. That, that makes sense to me, sure. The sexual connection or connection in general is 
is a, a subtle communication. I don't usually think of sex as subtle communication. Good. I don't think of it as either subtle or communication. Look, do you feel, well, how do you feel? You, you caused this. Do I know. you feel like a great person that's bringing a married couple together or do you feel like a pimp? Because you're both. I don't know if, to be honest, this morning I was feeling guilty and mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if that was wrong, but then Cassandra's excited about it and like thought it was really good. Yeah, but she's very happy. You've probably done a good thing for our marriage. Good, as okay. As long as our son never finds out. Okay, here, here's the crazy thing. There was a point at which it just was gonna happen, right? And, and, and her pants came off like that. What do you mean? I know I would have trouble just dropping trow in front of this guy and doing it, but she, and that's part of what I really liked about her. She's kind of unafraid and uninhibited in a totally different way than I am. And I am much more prudish and square. And she was, it's just, it's amazing that that's still just true. It's impressive, but it freaks me out. That's good. That's really good that, that it's not just about the connection and how you think about like intimacy differently, but also just like things that you can see about her that you admire and those positive things too. Right. She's still like that. that. Even though we're not in our twenties anymore, she's still, yeah. The only thing more humiliating than what I did is going to your wife for an evaluation of how you are as a husband. But as part of this process, I had to go do it. And I was kind of nervous about what she'd say. Now that we've done the one taste thing, mm -hmm. rank me again as a husband, father. <laughs> it's, it's probably not going to affect the father thing. No. The lover and the uh, provider. Okay. Well, it has an effect. I assume provider means like money. Money? It's just money. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that stays the same because I don't think, I think you're still, you're still raking in the buck, so... Uh, father, I'd say the you're the same. I don't think we've really had any changes in Laszlo's parent in our parenting of Laszlo, right? This is a long build-up to get to lover. <laughs> Stalling. No, lover. I feel like that's been the best. Well, I don't want to get into details about our sex life, but it's been the best thing that's happened to our sex life in a long time. Um, because it wasn't just about sex; it was about intimacy. Uh, it, it changed things for the better even more than I expected it to. And I would give you a, assuming we keep it up, a 9.5. And then for husband, it was... Oh, you did, um, you have made more of an effort to spend time with me. You did ask me out to lunch and that was really fun. I'll give you nine for husband. Okay, so just to go over real quick. Nine for husband. What was the lover one again? You draw, oh, husband. No, husband. Yeah, you went up a little. Nine. Nine, and then for provider, provider 9.5. I dropped a whole point five because this podcast. I have to assume we've lost a lot of money over the past month Jesus, or so. There's no winning. <laughs> I couldn't wait to tell Tim Ferriss. Yeah, it was only a fraction of a point, but still, it's a point. I'll take it. The reason Cassandra gave me a higher husband score was because she said that after we did one taste, she felt connected to me in a way she hadn't since we first started dating. Yeah, that's largely due to the fact that we did a weird sex thing. But I think it's also because even though it was just 15 minutes, I was really focused on her during that time. And maybe I don't focus on her enough the way I tend to focus on porn. 
So I'm going to keep this up and I'm just going to be more attentive in general, which maybe, you know, as a relationship goes on, you tend not to do. And you in this case means me. Thanks to our producer, Shara Morris, executive producers, Greta Cohn and Chris Bannon, and creative consultant, Art Chung. Our theme song was produced by Ben Wiener. Next episode on What's Wrong With Me. That, I don't want to bother you by telling you. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen. Or donde sea. Spanish Aki Presents. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.